You're listening to the Calvary Church Audio Experience, designed to empower and encourage you throughout your week. What's up, Calvary family? It's so good to be with you today. Do me a favor. Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Most of you know that we're in a series traveling through this great book written by the Apostle Paul as he was being persecuted in a Roman prison. The real thrust of this series, the common link that ties everything together, is the reality that through Paul's spirit-inspired words, we're learning how to experience real joy. Gospel-fueled joy is what we have in the midst of a world that sometimes encourages us to wear a phony, superficial smile. But we can have gospel-fueled joy in every area of our lives, our relationships, our circumstances, our attitudes, our thoughts, our finances, and much more. Today, we're going to continue to focus on our inner attitude, on what it means to live from what we're calling a healthy heart. As we often remind you here at Calvary, one of the core promises and blessings of God's new covenant that he has given us in Christ is that we have received a new heart. Won't you do me a favor, lift up your hands right now and say, Lord, thank you for my new heart. See, the heart of stone that we were born with has been replaced by a heart that is soft towards the things of God. And this really is good news. And the reason it's good news is because even when you're struggling in your inner attitudes, in your beliefs, in your behaviors, at the core of who we are, we truly want exactly what God wants for us. You know what we want? We want God's love to characterize our lives. We want to discover and live out our purpose in the kingdom of God. We want to be conduits of grace and truth and mercy in the lives of others. We want to be agents of change and peace and justice in a hurting world. That's truly what we want deep down inside. But sometimes, even though our true nature, our true hearts, are in perfect alignment with the desires of God. Sometimes the flesh, the unrenewed minds, it trips us up. It tricks us into believing that acting independently from God will make us more happy than depending upon him. It's a dirty little trick that goes all the way back to the very first sin in the garden when Adam and Eve chose independence rather than dependence. Even when they chose trying instead of trusting, this is the core of what they were dealing with. They were tripped up. They were tricked. And today, we're going to talk about living life from a healthy heart. In a spiritual sense, not suggesting that there's anything fundamentally wrong with your new self in Christ, your new heart, your born-again spirit. What I'm saying is that we need to be taught how to walk according to our new nature in Christ. Rather than according to the lust of the flesh, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to simply understand that we've got everything that we need pertaining to Christ and godliness. We need an attitude adjustment every now and again. And that's why we thank God for the gospel because it's simply reminding us of who we are in Christ and it gives us an opportunity to make proper adjustments. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to pick up right here at verse 12. And we're going to talk about some very important things as we move further in this journey of Philippians. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue. That means keep on. 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now fear means reverence and trembling is the reference to humility. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering in the sacrifice or the service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. We'll conclude right here at verse 18. Paul makes a very powerful statement. He says, so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Last week, Pastor Ben gave us the clip notes of verses 1 through 11. Let's get back into verses 12 through 18 in order to learn how to live from our inner attitude with a healthy, vibrant heart. Now, I'd encourage you to circle two phrases as we're moving along here. The first one is found in verse 12 and 13. I want you to circle the phrase, work out. And then I want you to circle the, circle the phrase, work in. It's important to understand that this passage does not say work for your salvation. That work has already been accomplished by Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and he did it for all of us. We don't work for our salvation. If so, we will begin thinking that it is obtained and maintained by a series of personal disciplines, self-sacrifices, and good behavior. The only thing we need to do now is simply receive what Christ has already done for us. We need to receive this new life as a free gift that is given by grace through faith. We emphasize that hugely here at Calvary. So the scripture never teaches us that we are to work for our salvation, but we are told to work out what God has already worked in. So in unpacking these verses, I wanna focus on this idea right here in verse 13, this whole thought about working out. It's a plan. We're going to do a workout plan today. Not a physical workout plan, but a spiritual one. So I want to invite you to jot some things down as we continue to work through these ideas today. We're going to talk about five ideas from Paul that he communicates for living a vibrant, healthy life. This workout plan, he's going to, we're going to have five spiritual exercises for heart health. Number one, Pastor Ben went over this last week, and it was an amazing point. I just want to recap. Remember that God is with you, in you, and for you. That's found in verse 13. We looked at this one, and we understood that Paul was saying in verse 13 that we could begin to be transformed by the way we think about what it means to live the Christian life. Again, as we've already mentioned in this series, the Christian life is absolutely impossible to live. It's not difficult. It's not challenging. It's impossible. You've got to get this revelation in order for us to move forward. You really need to establish this in your heart. The Christian life is absolutely impossible to live. You can't do it based upon your own willpower, your own good intentions, or your own self-reliance. And God's designed it this way on purpose, believers, so that you'll come to the end of yourself, so that you have no option except to rely upon him, 
Again, in verse 13, we see what Paul says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So that's spiritual exercise number one of the workout plan, remembering, believing that God is working with, in, and for you every single second of the day. The second thing we want to talk about, the second plan of this workout plan is to be grateful rather than grumble. In verse 14, Paul says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. It's critical to understand that he doesn't give this command until after he's explained the power of God at work in your lives. Can you imagine if Paul would have just simply opened up the book of Philippians and said, hey, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. No, he never does that. In every letter that Paul writes, you know what he does? He gives the audience a clear explanation of their true identity and their true nature in Christ. You know what Paul does? He practices the art of letting you know who you are in Christ first. Then he gives the command so that you'll be fully aware that you are not alone on this assignment. You are not doing this in your own power. You're not doing this in your own strength. So every command that Paul is giving, he is giving it after the fact that he has made sure that you know who you are in Christ. That's good news. That is the gospel. And that is why we love and celebrate this message here at Calvary. See, when we choose to live under the law rather than love, the commandment becomes a threat rather than a fruit. When you're living under the law, these commandments become a threat rather than fruit. Did you realize that? Have you ever noticed that about your life? When you're living in mixture, when you're living under the old covenant, when you, don't, when you don't understand rightly dividing, you know what you're doing. You are looking at everything that God is speaking as a threat. But I want you to understand something. God has given us the opportunity in the new covenant to see not only a command, but it's an opportunity to let his power, to let his grace, to let his love flow in and through us. See, the person who lives by grace reads a command like this and he sees it as a fruit rather than a threat. He sees it as descriptive rather than prescriptive. See, the person captivated by the grace of God says, okay, wait a minute, I'm a completely new person. I've got the God of eternity, eternity working in my heart. I've been given the mind of Christ, and I am irresistibly, irreversibly adopted into his family without ever having to be fear the fear of rejection. On my worst day of the week, I am still loved by the Father. I still had a seat at the table. I'm in perfect union, and I've been made righteous so that I don't ever have to feel the fear of abandonment if I don't do it the right way and if I mess up because now this is simply an opportunity for me allow the fruit of God to manifest in my life. The person who comes to grip with the fact that the answer to, to these questions is a resounding yes is a person who sees the command not to be a complainer and he says, okay, if God is at work in me, then I can live my life without grumbling and complaining. So how do I overcome grumbling in my life? How do I overcome complaining? How do I overcome self-centeredness? Here it is, through gratefulness, through gratitude. I know this to be true in my own life, and I'd be a fool to deny it. The fact of the matter is that the more grateful I am, 
the less I grumble, the less I complain, the more grateful I am, the less I'm worried, the less fear I allow to enter my mind and my heart, the more grateful I am, the better off I am, period, point blank. Come on, won't you do me a favor right where you are, lift up your hands and say, I'm grateful today. That's it, I'm grateful today. See, I'm more at peace in my relationships. I'm more at peace in my relationship at home, at work, in my community. When I'm grateful, I find it increasingly difficult to grumble. And Paul has spent the chapter and a half articulating a whole bunch of reasons for the Philippians to be grateful. This is why he can finally say that you're not armed with this powerful truth. You can be free from grumbling and complaining and living a self-centered life, Paul said you are absolutely, totally free from all of the behavior and the actions of self-centeredness. You can choose to be grateful and you will see the fruit of gratitude manifesting in your life. There's a third thing that I want to talk about in regards to heart, this heart exercise, and it is to live a clear, to live with a clear conscience. In verse 15, this is huge. Paul says, it's very practical benefit of a life free from complaining and fighting and arguing and bickering. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, just to be clear, this isn't talking about behaving your way into being blameless before God. You're blameless before God because of the sacrifice that the blameless Lamb of God provided for all of us when he shed his blood on the cross. This verse is talking about a blamelessness in the sight of fellow man. It's parallel to what James talked about in his letter when he writes about the difference between being justified before God and before humans. We're justified before God based upon belief, but we're justified before others based upon behavior. I'm going to make that statement one more time. We're justified before God because of beliefs, but we're justified before man based on behavior. I've had people who are aware of our deep commitment to the grace message that we preach. They've asked me, do you believe that behavior is important? Those of you who are part of the Calvary family, you know very well that we always talk about the importance of behavior. Our behavior doesn't earn us any brownie points with God, but it sure does with the people God has called us to love and to serve. Notice how Paul is referring in this verse to being children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. The context is simple. In sight of fellow man, we are working out what God has worked in in such a way that people get a glimpse of Jesus when they look at us. That is the issue. That is the point. This is what Paul is saying. If we have a reputation in the community of being complainers and arguers and bickerers and backbiters, betrayers and haters, then what does that have to say to those who are looking in from the outside? Life is so much more fun when we live our life with a clear conscience, knowing that as far as it depends on us, we're seeking peace with those around us. We are peacemakers. 
We have this powerful message of grace, and we've been called to distribute peace to every area of our lives, every circle of our lives. This is what God is calling us to. It's not that we're going to always get everything right, but it does mean that we're always willing to make things right. When you don't initially get it right, when you mess up, when you make a mistake, here's the key. When you have this heart, when you are exercising what we're talking about today, you are always willing to make things right. We say things that we don't mean and we mean things that we don't say. The flesh trips us up, but humility lifts us up. And that's the key right there. I want you to live a life where you are so humble, where you are exercising your heart, where you are understanding that the life that Christ put inside of you was a life that is not self-centered. So when crazy things happen, when you trip up, your heart will always lead you to the place where you can understand that humility lifts you up. Maybe you ought to lift your hands with me right now and say, lift me up. Maybe somebody needs to be lifted up today. Maybe somebody's been making some mistakes. Maybe somebody's been saying some things that they shouldn't be saying. Maybe someone is believing some things that they shouldn't be believing. Maybe you're seeing the fruit or the results of some real bad decisions you've made. I'm here to tell you that you've got an opportunity today to be lifted up through this humble spirit that Christ has put in you. And I'm telling you, you will not regret humility. Listen to the heartbeat of Paul as we journey through this book of Philippians. Here's the fourth exercise, the workout plan that is detailed in this passage. Number four, know and love the gospel. This is very important to me because I've shared it many times, how the gospel changed my life. And I can say today with a pure heart, with no division, I can say today with all honesty and with all humility that the gospel has changed my life. Number four is to know and love the gospel. At the end of verse 15, going into 16, Paul continues, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. See, that expression word of life is a reference to the gospel of grace that Paul was in chains for preaching. It's a direct mention of Jesus, the living word, and the gospel he brings to every race every tribe, every tongue, every nation of this broken world. I'm here to tell you that when Paul gives reference to the living word or to the word of life, he is talking about Jesus. Think about the power of that reference to the gospel, the word of life. Now, most believers, if you were to ask them about what Christ has accomplished for them, they would say that he provided forgiveness of sins. And that's not particularly wrong. That's very true. That is a fact, but it is only a part of a very large picture. Not only were you forgiven of sins, but you have to understand that there's something more that God provided for you. He has given you his very life. You have new life in Christ. You have abundant life on the inside of you. You have the life of God on the inside of you. And right now, right where you are, as you're listening to this message, I want you to receive this new life that has been provided by the word of God. The gospel is not just the message of forgiveness, it's the word of life. It's the message that proclaim that those who were once dead in their trespasses and sins have been made alive through faith in Christ Jesus. I mean, you think about how important it is to understand this. If someone sinned against you, I want you to get this illustration. 
If someone sinned against you and they died, you didn't have a chance to forgive them before they died, but you sought to give them their forgiveness, you would attend this person's funeral, you would walk up to the casket, you would proclaim forgiveness over that person for what they did to you. You could forgive them of their sins, but in order for them to enjoy the benefits of their forgiveness, they would have to be raised from the dead. The problem with our telling of the gospel in much of the church today is that forgiveness has been taught to the near exclusion of new life. New life might be an honorable mention in most uh, podiums today. Most teachers and leaders are just giving us a little token of new life. It is rarely the focus of what the Bible is talking about. I want you to understand that if you are aware of your forgiveness, but not aware of your new life in Christ, you're only living with half the truth. You only have half the joy, and you're only living with half the power. I'm here to give you an invitation to receive all of what Christ has for you, and you receive not only forgiveness, but receive this new life in Christ. Think about this. What if the capital C, the church, stood up and made declarations that we're not just forgiven sinners, but instead we're resurrected saints. I'm here to help you transition out of this mindset that you're a forgiven sinner, and I want you to start walking in the reality that you are the resurrected saint, that you have been made alive in Christ, that all things have been made new, all things have passed away, and you're not just forgiven, you are literally a temple of the Holy God. You're a temple of Jesus Christ, and life is on the inside of you see here's the thing the enemy wants to kill steal and destroy he wants to distract you he wants to come in and he wants to distract you from the the eternal life-giving source that is on the inside of you he wants to keep you from experiencing the joy and the peace that Christ has given you but I'm here to tell you that you're not just forgiven you've got new life in Christ and I believe that loving the gospel and one of the key components to helping you understand this life that you live in Christ. Finally, the fifth exercise that I want you to take to heart, Paul talked about it. Number five, serve God by serving others. See, if I'm serious about experiencing the joy of the Lord in my life, it can only happen in direct proportion to the way that I serve God by serving others. See, serving others is the primary way that we express our love and worship to God. And again, this is all about trust. It's all about walking by faith in the risen Christ. It is all about us realizing that Christ is living on the inside of us. It is all about us trusting and believing that not only is he in us, but he wants to work through us. See, even under the old covenant, Jesus made the point about loving God by loving others. He mentioned that it was hypocritical if we were to bring an offering to God but still have an offense with our brother or sister. Here's what Jesus said, that if you're on your way to worship the Lord and you realize that you have an unresolved offense with your brother, he says, put your offering aside for a moment and go and be reconciled to them and then pick your offering up and bring it to the house of worship. And the point that we can clearly draw from that reality is that any notion of worshiping God that is disconnected from loving and serving our fellow man is entirely ridiculous. God is invisible, but his people who are created in his very image 
are very visible. Here's what I want you to understand. If you're a believer in Christ, you are complete in him. And the quest of becoming a believer of Jesus isn't to try to transform yourself into something new. Jesus has already done that for you. The process of being a believer is about helping you discover how to grow into what you already truly are at the core, which is a precious and reborn, forgiven and new, righteous and holy, godly, pure believer. I'm here to tell you today that everything you need to become the individual that God has called you to be is right on the inside of you. You're simply a caterpillar who is being transformed into a butterfly. There is something amazing happening on the inside of you by the grace of God. And I'm here to tell you today that you can walk in the fullness of this joy that Paul is revealing to us in Philippians. Right where you are, Calvary, I wanted you to lift your hands real quick. I want to pray for you. I pray that you have the mind to look forward with full expectation of good. I pray that you receive the joy that has been made available to you in Christ Jesus. I pray that your eyes and your ears will be open to what God is revealing and speaking. I pray that you continue to grow in grace and to continue to walk in the Spirit. I pray that you receive every good gift that God has in store for you. As you walk out this work, this workout plan that we're revealing to you, I pray that you will be overwhelmed by the joy of the Lord that you will see God's joy elevated and growing on the inside of you to where you can get to the place where you can declare, no matter what, I will continue to make this grace walk a priority in my life. Speaking of grace walk, there's some things that we want to share with you today because we want you to continue to grow in grace. And we have some tools here today. One of them is entitled Grace Walk. You can request information right now. One of our online pastors are available to help you get more information. They're also available for prayer. Calvary, we love you. Let's keep walking in joy. Let's keep praying. Let's keep believing. And let's keep proclaiming that we're going to live a life of gospel-fueled joy. Love you, Calvary. God bless you.